kind of stumbling out of the gate. We're in a new studio. Well, yeah, though. we're in a different studio today, so we're feeling a little strange. That's right. But we have a great guest. We're very happy to have Karen Hansen with us. So Karen is, is going to take over next week. She just told me that uh, July 31st is actually her first date. She's been on the faculty at IU since 1976, has chaired the philosophy department, uh, did that from 1997 to 2002, has received the title of Rudy Professor, and uh, was named dean of the Hutton Honors College in 2002. So you've done an awful lot. You've been here for quite a while. I came here in 1976, too, so we share that. Move-in day together. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I, I want to ask you first, before we start talking about your new job, about the job that you're you're going to be leaving, the dean of the mm-hmm. Hutton Honors College, because I think the I, – I believe the Honors College is one of those sort of um, – unrecognized treasures that the university has. That's my personal bias. But Mm -hmm. could you talk about what the Honors College is, what it does, who the students are who are attracted to it? Yes. It is a a wonderful gem of of Indiana University Bloomington, and it's a a cooperative effort of the whole campus. The Hutton Honors College exists to serve the entire campus. Uh, Any undergraduate degree program is compatible with participation in the Hutton Honors College. Each year, the Honors College invites in about the top 10% of the uh, entering freshman class, and then students have opportunities to join the Honors College at uh, later points in their undergraduate career as well. The um, college itself offers uh, a curriculum that is its own, but it's taught by the faculty of the campus. It offers cooperative courses with um, departments and schools that, as they offer honors courses. Those are cross-listed by the Hutton Honors College. There's a robust program of extracurricular activities, and those are open to all students on the campus. They're, it's a really quite remarkable program. And again, what it does is make use of the treasures of the whole campus so that whenever, for example, there's a... Um, an important visiting speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the students have an opportunity to meet with this person so that I, I can say that every semester since I've been dean, nothing to do with me, it has to do with our wonderful staff, uh, our students have had the opportunity to have pizza suppers with a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, they meet with the, uh, the public intellectuals, Pulitzer Prize winners, our own distinguished faculty, faculty who are coming here to work with our distinguished faculty. It's, it's, it's a wonderful way of making available to students the benefits of this great research campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we offer special advising there um, and uh, a program of grants and, and awards to encourage students to make use of the talents they have. A real centerpiece is the um, Hutton International Experiences Program, which uh, provides grants, and again, not just for honor students, but for excellent students throughout the campus so that they can make undergraduate either study, research, or service a part of their um, undergraduate experience. Mm-hmm. The uh, In your new job, and, and again, I want to remind our listeners, if you turned in a little bit late, uh, Karen Hansen is with us, and she is the, the uh, incoming provost and executive vice president of Indiana University. In your new position, I know that Michael McRobbie has talked uh, a whole lot about um, increasing Indiana University's international presence, both in bringing mm-hmm. students here and in sending students overseas. It sounds as if your experience with the Honors College would fit right into that. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, this campus, of course, the whole university has a has a historically a, a legacy of international engagement stemming from Herman Wells, and we have many branches of um, of IU activities around the globe already. We are uh, intending to ramp up those activities and to make sure that we. Um, emphasize in various ways the internationalization of of education for students who are on this campus. We draw more international students, and we um, provide more programs overseas for students Mm -hmm. through uh, all of the schools. Why do you think that's so important? Because we live in the whole world. <laughs> the, um, it's important for our students, uh, if they're going to be well-educated and participate productively in, in the, the world we're living in, to understand the perspectives that um, come from different parts of the globe, to understand a little bit about people and cultures elsewhere, uh, to be engaged in, in world affairs. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the ways in which the university sees its mission being fulfilled, both mm-hmm. in 
bringing that perspective here and bringing uh, helping students to participate in programs overseas. We might have fewer wars that way. Oh, <laughs> that yes. would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> Do you have actual goals set already? <clears throat> Are you working on goals as far as we'd like to see X per, uh, percentage of um, our students have an international um, travel opportunity? We we haven't set specific goals, but we do indeed have some kinds of benchmarks as we're moving forward. I mean, the the goal of the of the International Experiences Program is to ensure that at least six hundred IU uh, students have overseas experiences each year. Mm-hmm. Um, we work cooperatively with other programs, including other programs of support. And of course, the Office of Overseas Study is crucial for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of the Office of International Programs, they too help students finance these um, these uh, uh, opportunities abroad. And and also provide the advising and the guidance that students need in order to figure out how this works with the, the rest of their education. As you leave the Hutton Honors College, what are you most pleased about as you look in your rearview mirror? Oh, it, th- that has been an absolutely unmixed pleasure. That that has been a wonderful experience. I mean, the, the students are fabulous. Uh, the the college itself gives them opportunities to develop their talents. And we have a, a wonderful, very dedicated staff. We are also in the process of um, building a new building, on, uh, which will house the um, Hutton International. I mean, the, the Hutton Honors College as a whole, and provide a lot more student space. We've always cast it as um, making the benefits of a small liberal arts college available in the context of a great research university, which really is a, a definite addition to, mm-hmm. to what students might receive elsewhere. And um, I, I am going to stay involved in the building of the building. Um, I think we have um, become less of an unrecognized um, <laughs> uh, gem of, of the uh, campus. I've, I've tried to work as cooperatively as possible with all the other schools, and I think that's what's really crucial to the success of the uh, the. Uh, Honors College, that it, it is embedded in the rest of the academic mission of the campus. Where's the new building? The building will be at uh, 7th and Woodlawn, directly across from Dunn Meadow, kind of uh, kitty corner from Ernie Pyle Hall. Great. Mm-hmm. The old building is not particularly large. I know I've been in, in it a few times. And, in fact, there are two buildings there housing okay. the, uh, the the staff and some of the student programs, but we, mm. d- we don't have a kind of hangout space uh-huh. for, for students in the uh, in those buildings. Those are old faculty houses. Okay. And there mm-hmm. was the disadvantage that the staff were in two buildings and mm-hmm. had to make special opportunities to uh, to meet regularly mm-hmm. yeah. in one or the other house. Well, I'm pleased it's going to be so close to the journalism program. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yes. All those journalism <laughs> honor students can go over there. Our, our guest today is Karen Hansen, <clears throat> who is the new provost and executive vice president of Indiana University. She'll be taking her job officially next Tuesday, but she's really been on the job since she was announced. I'm, I'm certain of that. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, I'll ask a similar question to, to the one Mary Catherine just asked. As you look forward, as you you contemplate this great new challenge that you're going to have, um, you know, what are, what are the, what's sort of the overview in terms of what you hope to accomplish in the in the position, mm-hmm. well, the the provost's role really is to help facilitate the fulfillment of the mission of of Indiana University Bloomington in research, education, um, and outreach service. Uh, I'm expecting to be uh, active in 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 all of those roles. The support and the research, of course, runs a, a, a across the board. Um, we have various initiatives which are ongoing in the life sciences and, as you mentioned, in internationalization. I have a special interest in part because of my own academic background in the humanities and the arts and the social sciences. And uh, uh, there are various elements of um, infrastructure needs and support in those areas which I would like to be attentive to. Um, we're also, as you know, engaged in um, some uh, – revamping of of undergraduate education. And that's going to be a very nice transition for me because I've been very focused on undergraduates for the past five years. Uh, We are, as you know, redoing the the general education curriculum. We're looking at smoother articulation and transfer from other institutions uh, around the state. Um, 
We are I, and I'm involved in the internationalization, and I want to be concerned with that. Um, there are other there are th- the ways about uh, in, in which all of these goals work together: the enhancement of the academic programs and the the faculty, the faculty's research opportunities, uh, and the undergraduate programming and the and graduate student education really are are all uh, connected with one another. Enhancement of one enhances the other. We're concerned with um, increasing the diversity of the campus in all kinds of ways, not just uh, the student body, and faculty body, the staff, but also in uh, diversity of perspectives. And you can, I think, see the ways in which, for example, the internationalization initiative um, makes a difference there. So, so those are the sorts of um, broad goals that are going to be particularly important in the, um, in the, in the next few years. Yeah. But, well, we can break those down just a little bit. I do want to mention, since you mentioned your uh, your strong interest in, in the humanities, that mm-hmm. your your background is a bachelor's degree from the University of Minnesota. I'm not telling you this. I'm telling you. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> a master's degree and a doctorate from Harvard. Your academic specialties uh, include philosophy of mind, philosophy of language, ethics, aesthetics, and American philosophy. So philosophy is mm-hmm. your your mm-hmm. discipline. Um, I'm always fascinated by dif- different disciplines that, that people choose. I know Miles Brand, philosophy was his background as well. What what interested you in philosophy? Um, well, I think one of the things you might see from that list is it's even a, it's a, it's a broad range of interests within <laughs> philosophy. And, and that was part of the attraction of, of philosophy that allowed one to make a life by thinking about things. Um, uh, philosophy does involve trying to get clearer about uh, a variety of ranges of material through sustained uh, thought and analysis. And um, I, I, I have as a, had as a, as, a, as a young student a broad range of interests in philosophy. What I, it took a long time to decide, actually. My, my career may look smooth backward, but going <laughs> forward, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that easy a decision. Um, but philosophy did seem to promise the opportunity to look at a variety of, of human endeavors in a sustained way. And uh, it's actually kept that promise. I mean, that's been one of the wonderful things about uh, having a career in this area. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you... As you um, May know I'm also a, a, an adjunct professor in comparative literature mm-hmm. and gender studies and American studies. And the, 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 that's I, I think a gift of the of the philosophical specialties I have. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you think that that interest has shaped you as an administrator, as a as a boss? I mean, you're going to have a lot of people who are working for you, looking up to you as a leader. How does that whole area of philosophy? How's that shaped you? Um. I don't. I don't actually think that they're going to be looking at me as a boss. I think <laughs> I do think of this position as as a you know, so, you know kind of a on the servant leadership mm-hmm. model. I mean, mm-hmm. there are things that one should be doing to enhance the uh, productivity of the campus, and that's the that's the way in which one leads. But what one's trying to do is make opportunities for the terrific faculty, staff, and students that we have here, just so that they can do their jobs. Uh, as they as they uh, are able, um, uh, the philosophic perspective um, probably plays a role. We have had an awful lot of philosophic administrators, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, I think in my own case, uh, the the breadth of my interest has made a difference in my engagement on the, on the campus, and I think that will be a help in in this position um, because I I'm. Genuinely interested in the work that that people are doing in a variety of fields, even ones that are not really closely tied to my own professional disciplinary work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'll be that'll be a help. I, I find the work of, of virtually everybody here really quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this may be a little bit, <clears throat> pardon me, of an overlap <clears throat> to to Bob's question. Your comments may anyway. Um, but this is this is a big job. This is a, a really huge commitment, a big undertaking. Um, everybody, you know, knows who the provost is, and and so I'm sure this is going to take a huge time commitment, um, and and 
you know, be a, a, a huge part of, of your life for, for the foreseeable future. So what what are you so excited about that made you say, yes, the, I'm going to take this huge challenge on and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I want to do this? Well, you're, you're right. It, it is huge. And, and part of it, it would be huge at any time. Um, but one of the things that made it particularly attractive right now is because this is a, a, a significantly um, – uh, uh, transformative moment for for the for Indiana University. Uh, there are generational changes in the leadership. Uh, there are other changes in in leadership. There are really enormous challenges in the external environment for uh, higher education right now, and for academia, for for the research mission as well as the educational mission. There are issues about accessibility and affordability of higher education that I think are are enormously important. And I'd like to contribute to the solution, both to the uh, a smooth transition uh, for, for Indiana University and to uh, to the solution of some problems that I think are, are historically new on the scene, not, not just for this campus, but for higher education in general. I think you've outlined several of them already. And I know they're... Uh, should come as no surprise to anybody that they're very consistent with uh, Michael McRobbie's agenda as the new president of the university. Um, you mentioned let, – let's just talk about a few of them. We've already mentioned the internationalization um, in some some detail. Uh, diversity, the diversity mm-hmm. issue. I know that IU has uh, – you know, I don't know the specific I, – I, I might be able to come up with it – to double the, the diversity numbers on campus and students, faculty, and staff by 2013. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a very tall task mm-hmm. to double the the population uh, or the diversity numbers. How is the university going to go about that? And again, why is that? Why should that be such an important goal? And then how how are you going to accomplish that? It's an important goal because we exist to serve the entire population. So it's important that the entire population participate in in the university in at all levels. It's 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 not just a matter of student recruitment or faculty staff recruitment, uh, but but the um the array of of responsibilities that people have when they're here and the array of opportunities they have. Uh, People will be working in a diverse world, and it's important that our students be trained to uh, know how to get along with with different sorts of people and understand the perspectives of people who come from perhaps different um, life circumstances than they do. Mm -hmm. Diversity encompasses a a number of goals that that go beyond those, those, those target numbers that are set by um, the uh, trustees initiative. I mean, one, the really crucial thing, I think, that's so so Im- central to our educative mission is understanding the perspectives of others and being able to cooperate and work productively with others. Uh, the diversity goals, I think, are, are um, going to be ones that all of us in in all of our um, administrative responsibilities uh, and our educational um, uh, opportunities, you know, in courses, in in uh, extracurricular activities, f- need to be attentive to. This isn't the job of there. You know, as you know, there was a new vice president named. Um, uh, this last week at Marshall, who who has a, a particular portfolio here, but the responsibility is one that rests with all of us. The, it, it may be worth mentioning that the Hutton Honors College has been part of academic support and diversity, um, uh, and under the leadership of, of Charlie Nelms, I, I really felt fortunate to be able to learn a great deal more about many of the programs that are specifically dedicated to um, enhancing diversity on this campus and throughout the system. Uh, there are lessons that I that I certainly will take to the provost's office, and there are um, uh, initiatives that I'm going to be trying to uh, put forward myself in this area. Mm-hmm. All right. Again, our guest is Karen Hansen, the new provost and executive vice president of Indiana University. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. That another area that uh, you just mentioned is the is the transitional nature of uh, faculty, the administration. I mean, I, I remember hearing uh, Michael McRobbie speak not too long ago, and he talked about the number of of senior faculty members or distinguished faculty mm-hmm. members who are going to be retiring soon. Um, what? 
it's, it's just it's interesting to me as a, a person who goes out and does some recruiting and is trying to find people and, and their different skill sets that we're looking for now than we were looking for five years ago. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, what's what's your strategy going to be in going to in going out and trying to find the very best people to fill these roles? Well, for for the the. Uh, renewal of the faculty. That is, of course, something that goes on every single year. Mm -hmm. People are always doing uh, recruiting and hiring of new faculty. The the faculty themselves are the best judges of the new faculty talent. They they keep up with what's going on in their fields. They know what's coming along in their fields, mm-hmm. and they are the ones to, to whom the the, the real um, the burden and the delight of, of, of finding young talent really falls. Um, the university uh, supports them in in that mission by you know allocating budgets in the direction of of fields as they emerge, uh, new areas of research. But they can, no administrator can can work with without the guidance of the experts in the area, and those would be the faculty who are already there. This is an extremely important um, uh, element. There's really nothing as crucial to the quality of, of the university as the, the hiring and the tenuring of, of faculty. Mm-hmm. All right. We have our first phone call. We have our first email. So let's go to the phone first. It's Jim. Jim? Yeah. Uh, Bob, could you ask her to uh, jump back to her childhood uh, elementary and secondary education and I'm hoping it's from a town of 800. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends upon how you think of the town. It was a little village, uh, <laughs> Falcon Heights, uh, in, in which I grew up. But uh, I'm from Minnesota originally, as you perhaps can hear slightly. I hope it's only slightly it's in, slight. my, in my <laughs> voice. Um, uh, in the Twin Cities area. Um, I'm, I'm from um, a, su- a small suburb right outside, outside of St. Paul and went to... Alexander Ramsey, Falcon Heights Elementary School, and Alexander Ramsey High School. All right. Let's, let's just pursue Jim's line of thinking just right. a little bit more. I mean, what, had... what was it about your, uh, let's say, your high school um, education that helped to shape where you were going you know, into philosophy? And was there anything in high school, any particular teacher, anything in high school that really stands out? I, I went to a fabulous high school. It was a public high school uh, in, a, in a rapidly growing uh, area outside of the Twin Cities. And it was new when my older brother went from sixth grade to, uh, to uh, um, his senior year in the, in the high school. I mean, it was the, the, all of the schools were being built in, in that time. There was a, a wonderful commitment in, in, in that village and in the uh, independent school district there to providing a, a, a good education for students. Um, I do now look back at, at, at a wonderful high school experience and, and think about how important the, the K through 12 university linkage is. We were, as a school district, um, I think, helped by our proximity to the University of Minnesota campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't say that I knew then that I wanted to be a philosopher. As I say, that was a little late in coming. Yeah. Um, but I learned a lot about a lot of things. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think it's, it's very important for, for the university to think about the ways in which we, we connect with K-12 through education in the state. Mm-hmm. Was there a teacher that made you think that you might want to teach others? Uh, I, I had, again, a whole range of fabulous teachers. Uh, one, as long as I am an adjunct in American Studies, I'll mention that I had an American Studies class that was, mm-hmm. was fabulous. And the, uh, the teacher was also an advisor for the literary magazine, which I was the editor. Uh, and that was an interesting working experience uh, that I suppose is not unrelated to some later career uh, goals. But I was interested in a broad range of subjects then, as uh, as you um, didn't mention. I, as an undergraduate, I was in a double major in philosophy and math. And, oh, and I didn't par- know that, no. And part of, <laughs> part of the reason for the, the double major was that I was quite undecided about what yeah. I took – Pre this, pre that, pre law, pre med, uh, thinking that I wasn't really sure what direction I would go in, but I tried to cover both my sort of science and humanities bases. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking philosophy and math; those are pretty different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mary Catherine, we have an email. Right? We do have an email, mm-hmm. um, and this asks, "What is your attitude towards the CWA union representing the IU staff?" Uh, the staff are are 
absolutely crucial to the to the functioning of this university. I have enormous respect for the work that the staff do. They they contribute to the to the mission uh, in in ways that are are sometimes visible and sometimes not visible, but always there and always steady. Um, and I've been I've been very impressed by the the the, the leadership of the of the CWA. Um, they they do, they understand the, the the mission of the of the university and are um, are dedicated professionals. The, the, we, we we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't work a day without them. All right. All right. We've hit uh, time for our first break, our only break of the day. Our guest is Karen Hansen, who is the provost, new provost and executive vice president of Indiana University. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info WFIU is a media sponsor for the Columbus Art Fest. Artwork from more than 60 local, regional, and national artists in the air-conditioned comfort of the Common Center in downtown Columbus. The hours are Saturday from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sunday from 11 to 4. Saturday evening, the Columbus Area Arts Council promises their biggest block party ever. WFIU staff will be on hand both days to meet and greet listeners, and we hope you'll drop by. More about this and many other events at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Karen Hansen, who next week will become provost and executive vice president of Indiana University. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. That's if you're outside the Bloomington area, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Uh, there are, uh, you know, you have so many things on your plate, so many things on, on the agenda. One of the issues I think that uh, I know Michael McRobbie spoken about, you've talked about it a little bit too already, is keeping IU accessible, affordable for students. It seems like that's a really difficult task at the, at a, at the same time that, that the, the requirements to get into the university are, are being toughened up. Um, trying to be a little bit more selective about the, the students that you bring in here. How do you balance those two things? Uh, there are a variety of tangled issues there. Um, the, the Raising the, the quality of the undergraduate student body needn't be at odds with accessibility and affordability. Part, part of what's, what's uh, important to making that the case that they aren't at odds is, as I mentioned before, the linkage between the university and K-12 education. Um, we want to make sh- sure students are prepared and uh, and motivated and ready to learn at this at this great institution. Um, I don't think that that's wholly a matter of seeing to it that we admit a student body with higher SAT scores and um, or ACT scores. Uh, there there is a lot that goes into student quality that's not captured by those numbers. I mean that's the number from a, a test on one day uh, or. A certain number of hours, we we want students to be ready to learn at the university level, and so we have to make sure that we are doing whatever we can to uh, articulate the expectations we have for these students mm-hmm. and to help the um, the uh, K through twelve education in in Indiana prepare the students to be at that level. The accessibility and affordability issue is, however, also tied up with the costs of higher education. And as support, public support uh, of a financial sort has um, shrunk over the decades that uh, I've been here, there are particularly pressing issues about how to make sure that this 
um, institution is available to all, to all students, no matter the economic background in which they grew up. One of the things that we have to, to do to make that the case is to uh, provide a, a need-based um, financial support for students. And we have to find the ways of garnering those resources our, ourselves so that mm-hmm. there are a couple of missions, some of them related to intellectual development, some of them related to raising funds. Um, and so we have to keep our eye on both of those things at, at the same time and, and see to it that we don't overlook students who are diamonds in the rough but ready to to come prepared, who may have had a slightly less advantaged background as they prepare, to see what we can do to bring them up to speed so that they are ready to, to take advantage of the resources we have here. And we have to find ways to make it affordable for them. That seems like a it, it's it seems like a very difficult task because uh, there's so much um, emphasis placed on test scores mm-hmm. now, in, both in the high schools and and I think at the university level. And in terms of you know, universities like to be able to say, well, our freshman class had a SAT of you know, this in mm-hmm. math and this mm-hmm. this in uh, English. But the but the fact is. Young people don't all learn the same way, mm-hmm. and, and that's part of what you're you're saying. There are a lot of young people, I would assume, who have a little bit lower test scores, but have enormous potential to mm-hmm. do great things in in a variety of uh, areas. So, how do you, you know, how how do you find those students? How do you, you know, how do you keep the test scores up at the level that you want, but not shut out some of these other students? Well, I think you're absolutely right, and one of the things that we have to do is. Is, is look at the student as a whole. I mean, it, when, when um, test prep uh, courses proclaim that they will raise a student's score 100 points, then one, one thing we ought to think is, you know, it may be that a 100-point difference on a test score doesn't suggest anything about the, the natural abilities of those uh, students. We have to, to, to have discerning admissions policies and discerning scholarship uh, policies that... that Look at the student as a whole. Look at high school performance. Look at other features of the student's background. Look at other things they've done as young people um, in order to to offer them opportunities that are appropriate for for the natural talents that they have. Uh, I think that you know that that's important for us one there there indeed is an emphasis on the test scores and it's related to the the US news and world report rankings. There are various ways in which those do play a role in the um, Decision making for so many people, and we can't we can't um, utterly ignore that. But we have to work our best, and that is, you know, we, we have an educative mission here <laughs> mm-hmm. to explain why that those don't tell the whole story. Why output measures, for example, are much more important for an institution of this sort, so that we can point to the to what our students have done, what they've learned when they're here. Uh, and the achievements that they go on to to uh, uh, rack up that make us so proud of them, um, and many of these students are uh, who who have done really extraordinary things have not been students who came in necessarily with the highest test scores. I mean, we have we do have you know as I say I've come from the honors college and we have students who have you know wonderful markers of that sort, but those aren't the only things that mark them as wonderful students, and there are plenty of wonderful students. Um, we have to find and we have to understand the context from which they're coming. Mm-hmm. All right, we've had a couple of emails that have mm-hmm. come in, so let's get right to those. Um, this one asks, I was just wondering what effect your family has had on the direction you've decided to take with your life and academic uh, professions. Um, I uh, am married to a philosopher. My my husband, Dennis Sanchuk, is a, is a faculty member in philosophy. We have two wonderful children, fraternal twin girls, who are in the public school system here um, in, at Bloomington High School South. I learn a lot from all of them. I, I <laughs> every day they remind me how much I learn from, from um, all of them. Uh, the, the, uh, the, I, I, my, my natal family, the, the family background I come from is um, uh, from Minnesota, as I said, a uh, lot of family still in Minnesota. My father was a professor of animal science, so I have a, a little bit of an in with the Purdue folks there because I have the, I have a, 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 an, a, an agricultural background as well, um, uh, and I and I think I think that those things have shaped me. Uh, my my I had two older brothers growing up. Uh, I'm I'm very grateful for the family that I have mm-hmm. here. My mother now lives here as well. 
Um, and uh, I, I, as, even as my, my children are growing up, I know that I've learned a lot from my children about the challenges of education, uh, about what it is to live in this town from birth. Um, and I, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to my family. So you, your children were born here in Bloomington. So mm-hmm. okay, all right. And what what professions did your brothers pursue? Uh, one was an attorney, and the other is a biochemist. All right, very good. Here's another question that's come in via email. Uh, it begins. I'm delighted for your promotion to provost, and wish you great success in this important position. Thank you. That said, I have two questions about institutional organization. When the IU faculty questioned the leadership of our former president, he responded by eliminating the position of chancellor on the Bloomington campus. I believe the chief academic officers uh, on the other seven campuses are chancellors, but you hold the position of provost, which generally ranks below chancellor. Number one, will you be at a disadvantage in championing the interests of the Bloomington campus in meetings where the other campus representatives are chancellors? Uh, the the reorganization, I think, is slightly more complicated than the question um, may be implying. I, I think that the the reorganization and the reorganization, of course, is still being worked out. But I am, in addition to being provost of this campus, which you know is the chief academic officer position, uh, I'm also executive vice president, uh, along with Charles Bance at um, IUPUI. I, I I don't think that we will be at a disadvantage. I do understand myself to be a champion of the Bloomington campus, but also someone who has to understand how we work with the other campuses. And I think that the uh, the position which um, President McRobbie has given me as executive vice president should should make that easier. Okay. Yeah, and just to clarify, executive it's the executive vice president of the Indiana University of Indiana University, yes. so it includes all the campuses. System, yeah. Okay, uh, and then the second part of this question is. And I'm not sure we might need some clarification on this. It, it asks, how serious a loss is it for IU Bloomington that the chief academic officer for this campus is no longer vice president for academic affairs for all eight campuses? Whether or not it's uh, uh, vice president for academic affairs for all other campuses, um, the Bloomington campus you know plays an enormous leadership role in in academic affairs within the within the system uh, the particular responsibilities for academic affairs that will be um, allotted to the two executive vice presidents are at this very moment still being worked out so i i don't think it's um, i think it's premature to think that there is a is a loss of um uh, even structural leadership in, mm-hmm. in these areas. Okay. All right. Um, Karen Hanson is our guest today. She's the provost and executive vice president of Indiana University. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, I wanted to refer to a story that Steve Hennefeld did when you were uh, name to your new position. And he quoted uh, geological sciences professor Lisa Pratt, who was a search committee member, um, of calling you a pro- pragmatic intellectual. And I wanted to get your reaction to that. Does that fit? <laughs> well, uh, actually, one of my disciplinary um, specialties is in American pragmatism, and maybe that will <laughs> <laughs> maybe that will serve me well. Uh, I mean, the, the classical American pragmatists are you know, John Dewey, William James, um, uh, uh, Charles Sanders Person, uh, and I work particularly with George Herbert Mead. Uh, I I I, th- I think um, I was very kind remark from Lisa, and I th- I think I, I I am interested in solving practical problems as well as just thinking about them, which is one of the things I emphasized about my attraction to philosophy. So uh, I hope it means that I I think first and 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 then act. But I do understand. Um, I do understand uh, thinking as something that is operationalized in behavior, and that mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's the that's the crossover point. Okay, good. Well, I think that's might be comforting to a lot of people. <laughs> people we, I think there there is the idea sometimes, or the thought that stereotype that people who are philosophers do just think a lot and mm-hmm. 
don't act that quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's the pragmatic side of you. Mm-hmm. All right. And and I have a couple other issues I, I do want to ask about. I mean, one is Mary Catherine and I are, of course, very involved in the Bloomington community in a mm-hmm. variety of ways. And, and I wondered what you see as your role you know, as provost of the IU Bloomington campus mm-hmm. in terms of the town-gown relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, I have always, as a faculty member and, and just as a citizen of, of Indiana, felt so enormously happy that I lived in Bloomington. It's one of the things that makes this such a special place. It's it's a, a, an absolutely superb city. I mean, it was a superb city when we when we lived here as a as a couple, my husband and me. And once we had our children, we you know the, all the old cliches became even stronger about it being a wonderful place to raise children. Um, we we you know have many points of engagement. There are new ones that I um, have at the back of my mind right now. There there are ways in which the campus couldn't be as special as it is without this special town, and I think vice versa that the, that the that the town is uh, enormously helped, of course, by the by the presence of of Indiana University. There are these uh, very intense collaborations on things like Arts Week, which I, are, are wonderful for for town gown relations and for for the community as a whole. We are um, thinking about getting something uh, akin to Arts Week going uh, in in the fall, and not not this fall, but some a regular fall festival mm-hmm. connected with um, the humanities, uh, and in a way that we hope will. Will solidify these partnerships that we have with um, with with the town, so that we have people engaged from both the campus and the town in in uh, making use of the wonderful resources that lie on both sides. Um, there are other ways in which economic um, development is imp- is important for the town, and and uh, the university can play a role in that. I met this week with. Uh, folks connected with the Volunteers in Medicine program. There are uh, uh, wonderful initiatives in which we would very much like to cooperate, and that's certainly one of them. Um, uh, you know, the the the, uh, the opportunities are numerous. There's goodwill on both sides, and uh, and and I think it's it's something that enhances the lives of of those who are part of the university, those who aren't part of the university, if we work as cooperatively as possible. As as a follow-up to that, do you uh, anticipate identifying yourself with one specific um, initiative in the community? Well, I think one of the ones uh, that I uh, have just this week talked with some folks about getting going is this um, a a fall festival Mm -hmm. of of the humanities. Part of what would be involved there is is a kind of focus on some of the treasures of of IU, mm-hmm. the art museum, the uh, Lilly Library, the Kinsey Institute, the Jacobs School of Music. So many of the um, the the um, treasures that have been here forever that are resources for faculty research and for for the education of our students, and that are of course available to the community mm-hmm. as well. But making them especially available and meaningful in in ways that involve the uh, whole campus and the town, I think would be would be super. And I and again, I think the, the Arts Week has shown that the, that this is a, a, a the kind of of collaborative activity that can can provide just enormous benefits to both sides. Yeah, and really seems to work in this mm-hmm. in this community. Yeah, mm-hmm. even though Arts Week is always a lot longer than a week. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that has become kind of a misnomer, yeah. hasn't it? All right. Well, here's another question that came in. Um, how does the intellectual training of the campus administrator influence the direction the campus takes? A lot of people worried that with President McRobbie's interest in technology, arts and humanities would suffer. Does the advent of a humanities-based scholar imply a different direction? Um, I, I don't, you know, the, I don't think the administrators should be trying to create a campus that uh, answers to their needs. I mean, our job as administrators is to facilitate the enhancement of the full mission. And uh, because I, my own background is more um, closely connected with the humanities and, and to some extent social sciences, um, uh, you know, I'm an appreciator of the arts and I'm also somebody who reflects on the arts. But I am also an appreciator of science, and uh, you know, of course, the life, life sciences initiative is going forward full steam, and I expect to be as supportive as possible mm-hmm. of that and of the science work done by the non-life sciences departments. Um, I mean, we don't, we sh- we, we aren't trying. Uh, no, an administrator shouldn't be trying to remake it, the uh, the campus in his or her image. I mean, our job is facilitator. 
All right. And the second half of this question is, could Provost Hansen speak to the importance of having a woman as provost? Um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's part of the um, – I don't know if, I, if I, there is a particular perspective that I will be bringing that is specific to, to my being a woman. I do think that the uh, diversity initiatives – Suggests that that we should be looking for a time when this isn't a question that would occur yes. to, to would occur to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there there still is work to be done on this campus in, in seeing to it that there is a more diverse group of administrators, uh, a more diverse group of of full professors, mm-hmm. um, balanced by ethnicity, race, and and um, gender, but. I, um, I I look forward to the time when we won't really be, be thinking of it in that way, but but I know we're not there yet, so it may make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to ask about the uh, – there, there has been uh, – there have been some people who've, who've pointed to uh, having you in this job as an advantage because of your great interest uh, and experience with undergraduates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, of course, research and the role of the graduate school and graduate programs and the professional schools on campus are, is, can't be underestimated as well. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about the sort of the differences between those two roles of the university, you know, the importance of undergraduate education versus this, you know, advanced role of, of research and, mm-hmm. and uh, the professional schools? I don't think that they're as um, separate as, as, as one might suppose. I mean, there are separate initiatives one would be undertaking with respect to each of these areas, but there is a sort of synergy that comes from uh, hiring first-rate faculty. First-rate faculty want to be engaged with their students, both undergraduate and graduate students. Our graduate students also do some of the teaching uh, as part of their apprenticeship to becoming faculty members uh, for our undergraduates. Uh, th- th- these these activities really do hang together in a way that I think is is uh, enormously um, important and often overlooked. So while we while we're building first rate faculties, faculty enjoy teaching prepared students. Mm-hmm. Prepared students uh, are are ones who are interested, motivated, um, and and there's a sort of seamlessness of undergraduate, graduate, and faculty. Uh, um, uh, it's not, um, not, not responsibilities, but uh, in, in, the, in the acquisition and transmission of knowledge. I mean, some, some, the, the faculty role is, is, you know, the creation and transmission of knowledge, whether in professional circles or to students. So um, I, I don't think that the, that the missions are as separate as they might appear. And Building first-rate efforts in all of those areas um, is something that that produces more than the sum of each of those efforts. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, as a as a person who grew up in a small town in Indiana, that the the creation of knowledge piece is something that still I think is probably misunderstood or. Mm-hmm. Um, underestimated by mm-hmm. the masses. You know, the, the transmission of knowledge. People understand that. I send my kid away to school. They're going to be bright people who are teaching them things. Mm-hmm. But this creation of knowledge piece is one that... that um, and the whole concept of a research university. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people understand a research hospital mm-hmm. much better than they understand a research university. Would you like to speak to that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad. <laughs> Actually, we can't we go from the understanding of something like a research hospital. I mean, people understand that there are, are things yet to be discovered, and that is what the faculty are engaged in. They're, they're pushing the boundaries of knowledge. And, uh, you know, the, the knowledge that we have, I shouldn't, I shouldn't really say this, I should, but, you know, it didn't come from Plato's heaven. I mean, it came because people acqu- acquired and uh, created knowledge. And that is not a process that ended at a particular moment in historical mm-hmm. time. It's a process that continues. Uh, so, so we don't, um, as faculty members, simply transmit a body of knowledge that was given to us when we were students. What we're doing is 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 staying engaged in our fields, understanding what new puzzles have arisen because of the acquisition of knowledge in the past, and pushing further to to expand our our grasp of the universe and our and our uh, ways of making it meaningful to us. 
And, and those are, are uh, exciting missions, and they are ones that, that faculty want to bring new people into, and those new people are our students. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are also, for many of us, our, our own colleagues here and elsewhere. But, but it's, a, it's a sort of um, seamless enterprise, uh, the, the engagement with uh, knowledge, and, and, and they, they aren't divorced. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think they're, you know, they're, they're it, it really, in many ways, isn't that hard to, to see. I think once people sort of stop and think about it, when do they think of knowledge as complete? It, it isn't. I mean, each mm-hmm. of us knows in his or her own life that there are things we don't know and ways of finding them out, mm-hmm. and that's what faculty are doing, and they're bringing others into these enterprises in particular disciplines. Will you have a role to play with the state legislature, or that, will that be primarily um, President McGrawby's? I think it is uh, primarily President McRobbie's, but I think all of us, uh, and certainly all of us uh, who are representing our campuses, um, have a, a crucial role to, to play in in uh, making plain the needs we have, what we will deliver if those um, uh, needs are met, and how we intend to uh, fulfill the mission which the state has has given us. Yeah. So we have uh, responsibilities to to make plain what we're doing and to suggest ways in which we can do better um, the, uh, the tasks that we have in front of us. So I, I, I certainly do expect to be playing a role in it. Well, it seems like the things you just said to us about the expanding the boundaries of knowledge would uh-huh. be a good message for the legislators in yes, the state I, of Indiana. Yes, I agree. <laughs> right. we, have, we have less than two minutes to go. We have about a minute and a half to go, and I want to give you the opportunity to um, you know, to – either reiterate points you've already made or give us some any new points about um, initiatives that you hope to launch, how you're going to, the things you're going to be working on and put as your highest priorities when you start in a, in a, a few days. Okay. Well, one of the things that is my highest priority um, as, I, as I begin is listening carefully to, to the, uh, the, the folks who are on the campus who are engaged in a variety of enterprises to, to fully understand what their needs and goals are. Uh, We will, I think, be um, uh, constructing a a set of strategic goals for the the campus, but one of the things that it's important to do is to work with the folks who are here and engaged in the mission. The university goes on as administrators change, and everybody is is doing his or her best, and we want to know what it is... um, uh, each of the specialists thinks of as a as as an appropriate goal before we set out an agenda. All right, thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you, my pleasure. Our guest has been Karen Hansen. We're we're sure that she'll come back and visit us another time. We certainly hope so. Uh, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, uh, producer Aliyah Mood, and engineer Mike Peshkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.